We'll, uh, we'll get started tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for just uh, a good day that you've given to us. I thank you again, Lord, for just your continual blessings. Thank you that uh, we have opportunity tonight to just get into your word, to study it. And Lord, I just pray that as we uh, look at these characteristics of, um, of Christ, that, uh, Lord, we would uh, take these as an example for us, that we could be Christ-like in our life, and that, Lord, we would have a desire to please you and honor you, to do your will, and to um, uh, just be uh, the Christians you desire us to be. I thank you again, Lord, for those that are here tonight, and pray, Lord, that uh, they just have open hearts ready to listen. You'd be with me and my words, that all of this would be pleasing to you. And this I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. If you will turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 11, uh, we had uh, talked uh, a bit about the fear of the Lord and, um, there was a, a reason that I kind of wanted to approach that first because it was a little bit more, if you will, in depth, um, in detail in regards to what it is. It needs, uh, you know, I, I think often uh, sometimes it needs a greater uh, explanation and understanding, uh, than a lot of people do want to even uh, try to attempt. But, uh, uh, but th- the fact is, is that, uh, you know, as we kind of started from the, the bottom of that list in, in Isaiah chapter two, verse 11, or excuse me, Isaiah 11, verse two, um, we're, we're going to go back to the first part of it and we're going to cover this. In Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither after the hearing of his ears." Now, this is an important thing as we look at this and, and kind of move a little bit forward with it, uh, um, uh, this thought process. This is talking about the first advent of Christ. But when you get to verse 4, there is this shift to the second advent of Christ. Now, the first advent is when he came here in his earthly ministry and died on the cross for our sins and raised again. That's his first advent. That's when he came. Now he is coming again, and people call that the second coming or the second advent, however uh, it's referred to, and that is where he physically comes to rule and to reign. Uh, this is different than uh, what people will, will refer to in the term of the rapture, but this is when he actually physically comes and sets foot on the earth and comes with his saints for the purpose of taking his kingdom. Uh, there's the Battle of Armageddon that will ensue. This is, of course, right after that seven-year tribulation period of time, known as Jacob's Trouble, Rachel's Sorrow, or the Great Tribulation. Right after that seven-year period is when Jesus Christ is coming. Uh, the beast is thrown in the lake of fire. The uh, false prophet is thrown in the lake of fire. Uh, the devil, the dragon, is bound with chains and thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years while Jesus Christ rules and reigns in his millennial kingdom. And there's a lot that talks about the millennial kingdom. There's a lot that talks about it here in this uh, part where you even go down a little bit further where he says in verse six, the wolf shall also dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. Again, that's not happening now. That, that That's not the case. You, you, you go ahead and put a calf in a lion's cage and let's see what happens. Uh, it's going to be called a snack is what it will, what will occur. Uh, you put a wolf uh, uh, in there with a lamb, and guess what's going to happen? I mean, uh, people are all in an uproar right now because they actually had to um, take out some wolves recently because they did what wolves do. Well, what do wolves do? Well, wolves are going to get hungry, and they're eating the carnivores, so guess what they're going to go after? They're going to go after the easy pickings. Why? Because, well, they're lazy. Uh, I mean, they're dogs. They're lazy. And what happens? They go after the easy kills. 
Um, they go after the cattle that can't fight back. They go after the cattle that move a little slower. Uh, they go after the ones that uh, maybe uh, aren't as healthy as the others, so they can catch them easier. But uh, you, you go ahead and put a, 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 a lamb in a, in a cage with a wolf or a wolf compound, and, and that lamb is not going to sit down and have a, have a snack with them. He is going to be the snack. Um, so we very clearly understand this is not happening right now. It's not happening even in a spiritual sense. If we were to take that whole concept of lambs and wolves and talking about uh, uh, Jesus Christ and, and uh, his church, uh, where he refers to us as sheep and those that are in wolves' clothing, uh, yeah, you're, you're not finding that. You're finding that people are having more and more and more and more and more and more hatred towards Christians. They do not want us here. They don't. As a matter of fact, if you declare yourself a Christian or you declare yourself as somebody that is a, a Bible believer, that puts you uh, in, in a category in their mind as somebody that needs to be removed. This is the day and age that we live in. In the United States of America, that's the main thought. People do not want the Christians, do not want Bible, do not want God, do not want Jesus Christ influencing anything that they do, let alone reproving them in any way. So we see that very clearly this is not happening. So we know that this is a, a, a an event that is going to take place in the future. So that break right there between uh, chapter, uh, uh, or, uh, chapter 11 with uh, verse 3 and verse 4, the first part talks about his ministry. The second part talks about the millennial reign. And it goes all the way down through to verse 16. So, uh, we, we see some, some obviously distinct differences here. But we're talking about this first part where, again, it's when he came. He set that example for us. So when he set that example for us, he set out a pattern of behavior in which we should operate. We should follow after the way that he ex- exemplified himself here on this earth. And this is an important principle, and in order to do that, we have to understand who Jesus Christ is. We have to understand his character, we have to understand his desires, we have to understand exactly who he is and what God had him do here on earth. So we began to look at that fear, and again, to get some understanding about that when we get to, um, obviously, that part of what he's talking about. But again, these seven, if you will, categories, these seven spirits, they were also mentioned over there in the book of Revelation that are described as seven burning lamps that are in front of the throne of God. And the very first one that we see in verse 2 is called the Spirit of the Lord, and it says it's going to rest upon him. Now, this is an important principle for us to understand. Uh, when we start talking about the Spirit of the Lord, we need to understand first and foremost what we're talking about when we're talking about Spirit. Because again, this is what it, this is referring to. So when we start talking about Spirit, we understand that man is created with, if you will, that trichotomy, we are, we're, we're three. We're not a trinity. We're not like God. We are created in His image, but we are not created exactly like Him. We don't have those uh, 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 that, that uh, trinity associated with us. But we do have a body, which is our flesh. We do have a soul, which is who you are. And there is a spirit that has a connection. And when we're talking about this spirit, we're talking about this influence that comes upon us. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to specify this here because the word spirit has a lot of definitions to it. You Again, still even today, there's certain places that serve spirits. And when they serve spirits, we're talking about serving uh, alcoholic drinks, hard liquor, strong drink, as the Bible calls it. Uh, and they call it spirits. And, and, and it'll make sense here in a minute why they call it that. But when we start talking about spirit, we need to understand what that word means in this context. In this context. 
You go back to, you know, where the word began to uh, develop and how it began to develop. And you go all the way back to, say, about the mid-14th century. And that word spirit began to take on a a, a definition form that talks about the character, disp- uh, excuse me, character and disposition. Specifically, a way of thinking, a way of feeling, a state of mind, a source of human desire. Now, when we begin thinking about that, that kind of makes sense. Because it is God's spirit that communes with us and is supposed to, to if you will, uh, show us and demonstrate to us what we as, as believers need to know what we need to understand, what we need to learn, what is the spirit of truth versus that spirit of error that is out there. And that spirit of error is a very, 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 if you will, devilish type of mentality. But what we find with this, when we're talking about this spirit, I want to get to that point of where it is talking about that character and disposition. And again, when we start realizing what that means in, in light of definitions, the definition is that there's this, if you will, this primary sense to, to, to kind of, if you will, um, drive or motivate. Essentially, when we start looking at what we're talking about here, when it comes to, to, um, uh, this, this concept of the spirit, we're talking about what animates you. When, when, when man was created, he's created out of the earth. And it wasn't until God breathed into him, which is again going back to the actual root of the word spirit, wasn't until actually breathed into him that he became a living soul. That soul was given life because a spirit was put into man. Just like you take a look at animals. Animals have a spirit and they have a body. They don't have souls. But what we find out very specifically is that with, with that spirit, there is a life that is being given. And when we understand the concept of the spirit having influence over us, we begin to understand what he talks about when you go over to passages that talk about uh, being very careful about knowing somebody that has an angry spirit. Why is that? Because what is animating them, what is moving them, what is driving them and their character and their disposition of life is emotion. That's not what emotion is intended to do. Emotion is supposed to help us draw nearer to the Lord. Not, if you will, be our guide. Why? Because emotions can be toyed with. Emotions can be, can, can be, be, I mean, can change from one minute to the next. And there you are, you're watching a movie and everything's fine right up until the point of where like the main character dies. And there's anger, there's frustration. You ever sit down and watch a movie and cry? Well, why is that? Because it motivated you to do that. Now, when we start looking at emotion and if emotion's driving us and emotion is moving us, what is causing that emotion is going to be what causes, if you will, us to behave the way that we do behave. So there are tons of things that can motivate anger or excuse me, that can bring about anger that motivates us. There are tons of things that can happen and occur. Hence the caution that's given when we start talking about angry spirit. But let's kind of see how this works. So when we start talking about, if you will, and and dare I say use the word animate, but what I'm talking about is what moves us to action, what, what, uh, uh, if you will, drives us to to uh, respond, what drives us to think, what drives our hearts in a certain way. So now we go back to what we were talking about with alcohol, where they call it spirits. Somebody gets spirits into them. Does that not animate them a certain way? It causes their behavior to become erratic. 
It causes their behavior to be uh, very, very, very dangerous. I mean, you go over to the book of Proverbs and he starts talking about them going back and forth and beholding strange women, a redness of eyes, wounds without cause, all of these things. And then again, what does it create? He, he mentions the addiction factor that's in it. And he says, you know, even though they know all of these things, what it happens, they go and do it again. They go and do it again. It just, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Perfect example, uh, you know, obviously, you know, discussing some things with uh, uh, the insurance agent as we're, you know, switching some carriers here uh, with that. And, uh, um, you know, he was, uh, you know, talking about, you know, driving and things of that nature and uh, some of the political things that are out there and the lack of consequences. You know, it used to be that if you got two DUIs, man, you were in serious trouble. Three GUIs and you were pretty certain you were going to be going to jail for a very long time. Now people are racking up, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and no consequences. Driver's license hasn't been taken away. They're not going to jail. They might have to pay a fine. But as long as nobody's hurt, right? Well, still, even then, when people hurt people, it's a slap. Cuffs is not fun. Riding like that in the police car is not fun. along with one of the officers that was in our church one time and I'm sitting in the car and he had to go in and take care of something inside the house and suspect was in the back with me and and he was wanting to try to plead his case with me I'm I'm just I, I, I'm like I, I I'm 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 not gonna help him in any way shape or form and uh, he, he 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 keeps going officer <laughs> officer and I'm just sitting there like because you're really not supposed to engage with them. Officer. Hey. And I'm like, I'm not a police officer. He goes, oh, you're not? He's like, because I, I, I got some questions about all this. And I'm like, I'm not a police officer, man. He's like, what are you then? I said, I'm a pastor of a church. Oh. He sits back. <laughs> Probably not the guy he really was expecting to be in the police car with him. <laughs> but, I mean, again, you would think that after all of that happens, a person would learn their lesson, right? But they don't. And the end result that occurs is they go out and they seek it again. Why? It's because they want to be motivated by that kind of a spirit. They want to be moved and animated by that spirit. So let's take a look at a couple of things about what, what, what this spirit of the Lord is. And it becomes pretty apparent. Let's go over to the book of Judges. Now, I know there's several places where it uh, it, it talks about the spirit of the Lord. Um, it talks about the spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters over there in uh, Genesis chapter 1. It talks about uh, the spirit of God in different places. But we're going to look very specifically at this phrase, Spirit of the Lord. Because there's something interesting about this. And I want you to see something. Judges chapter 3. We're going to be in the the book of Judges here for a little bit. And then we're going to move to the book of Samuel. But I want you to see something and see a pattern here. About why the Spirit of the Lord is important. But before I go any further with this, I just want to make sure that, that, that we all understand that when we trust Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit is put into us. We, 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 we are with the Holy Spirit. He is with us. He is in us. First, uh, First Corinthians 6 makes that very clear. We can't lose him. 
and, and we'll see a pattern that goes on over there in the in the first Samuel, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But but I want to make sure that we understand something. As a believer, the Spirit of the Lord is already there. You just have to use him. And I think that when you, a person begins to realize that, it can really change their life. If you were to give somebody a tool in advance, and you know that they're going to need that tool, and that tool is on their workbench, and they come to you and they say, I don't know what to do. And you say, you need to use that tool. I don't have that tool. Yeah, you do. It's right over there. You've already provided it for them. And the Lord has done that with us. And this is why it becomes so very important for the believer. Take a look at Judges chapter 3, verse 10. Here we are uh, talking about, um, just look back up here to verse 9. Uh, the nation of Israel's gotten themselves into trouble again, and uh, they've uh, done evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, they're, um, you know, getting uh, persecuted here, if you will. Uh, there's some uh, um, uh, bad individuals doing some bad things. Um, in verse 8, we've got one of the longest names in the Bible. Um, but in verse 9, it says, When the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel, who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Now, if you remember who Caleb is, he was one of the two spies that said, we can do this because God told us we can do this. God told us we can go in and possess the land. God's going to fight for us. Why are we scared of a bunch of giants that God can easily take care of? Do you not remember the Red Sea? Do you not remember the battles and the victories that have already been won? Both Caleb and Joshua were were those two out of those 12 spies. The other 10 said, can't do it. Made everybody in the camp afraid. And what was the end result? God said, okay, fine, you're going to wander around for 40 years. You guys are going to die off. You don't want to be in there. Your children are going to go in there. And then they went, well, you know, we're kind of just kidding. We're going to go ahead and go in there anyways. And they got their hat handed to them and told to leave because God wasn't with them. God didn't bless them. So here we are in this situation with Caleb's younger brother. Caleb, obviously, you know, being somebody that feared God. Here is uh, Othniel that, again, feared the Lord because I want you to see what happens in verse 10 here. And the Spirit Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered that guy, king of Mesopotamia, <laughs> into his hand, and his hand prevailed against that guy. I, you, you, look, you want somebody that's got dyslexia and has a hard time with phonics pronouncing that name? No, you don't want that, because that's just going to sound like I'm speaking in tongues. So, anyways, that guy right there, Othniel, he very clearly had the Lord do something. The Lord sent his spirit, which came upon him. And I want you to see something. What happened? He judged, but the way that he was called to judge is he did go to war. And he got the victory. Keep that in mind. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he went to war. Let's go to another chapter, chapter 6. You find a lot of these in the book of Judges. <clears throat> Judges chapter 6, and in verse 34. Judges chapter 6, and in verse, uh, back up here to verse 33. And all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. 
And he sent messengers through all of Manasseh, who uh, also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers in Asher and unto Zebulun and unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. And what happens? He begins to form an army. And it starts out big, and then it gets really small. You know, God likes small things. Being as, as, as incomprehensibly large as God is, he likes using small things. Why? Because it confounds the wise. Confounds the wise. And you just think of how small things are and insignificant and what the Lord does with those small, seemingly insignificant things. One guy, in this case, 300. But what happened? Beforehand, Gideon was a little reticent, wasn't he? But God called him a mighty man of valor. But he's like, he's throwing the fleece out there a couple of times. Because he doesn't, he, 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 he's not having a lot of confidence in himself. Not that we should. But he's very unsure about whether or not God's really called him. But what we find here is that the the Lord specifically did call him. And what did the Lord do? The Lord gave him his spirit. To do what? To fight the battle. To fight the battle. To be a judge. Let's go over to another passage, chapter 11. Book of Judges, chapter 11. (coughs) Excuse me, chapter 11. Here's another judge. In Judges chapter 11, in verse uh, 29, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead, and Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Amnon. Jephthah vowed vowed unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Amnon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Amnon uh, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up a burnt offering. Now, what happens with that is he kind of made a vow very foolishly. And uh, his daughter walked out to meet him. There's always been a bit of a bit of a big great debate about whether or not uh he uh offered his daughter up to the Lord as a burnt offering. And the answer is no, because God would never accept that. Because that was one of the most blasphemous abominations that he called in scripture. He said, You do not put your children through the fire. And they're like, Well, how did he offer her up? She became the Lord's. She never married. She was solely dedicated to God. That was her life. She may have had all the plans in the world to marry whoever, and that didn't happen. But he didn't offer up her as a burnt offering. The Lord's not going to hold you to a vow that it's going to involve sin. Always remember that. He will never say, I'm going to hold you to that vow and make you sin. He won't do that. Why? Because it's against who he is. It's against his very nature. It's against his holiness. It's against his righteousness. It's against his justice. But what we find here is we find another judge that has the spirit of the Lord. To do what? Again, fight a fight. Fight a fight. Let's go over to uh, chapter 13. <clears throat> I know I kind of dropped something there with whole Jephthah's whole thing, but you can look at that on, on, on you know, on your own, but that's not the point of what we're looking at to, to, uh, tonight. But in, uh, Judges chapter 13, uh, and, um, <clears throat> I want you to take a look here in verse 24. And it says, the woman bare a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. Well, we all know Samson, right? Big, strong, mighty Samson. 
And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zor and Eshtol. Now I want you to see something. Notice what happened here. The Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times. It motivated him. It animated him to do something. He was a judge. He actually shows up in in Hebrews chapter 11 as exercising faith. Uh, A lot of people talk about how bad Samson was. Yeah, I know Samson flirted with that line a lot. But I'll tell you this. The Lord still used him. The Lord used him. He paid some consequences. But the Lord used him. And God still counted his faith as great. Now that's interesting. But what we find here is we find the Spirit of the Lord moving him. Moving him. Now that's important because when you start looking at some of the other issues or some of the other uses of uh, the term Spirit of the Lord, you find one over there in the book of Acts where the Spirit of the Lord actually picked Philip up and physically moved him. He was in one place and then he was in another one in a minute. So that's happened. So the Spirit of the Lord not only can move spiritually in a person's life, can also move physically. Which is kind of interesting sometimes because you ever get that kind of feeling of like a foot in your back when you have to do something and you're just like, I don't know, and but you just feel like this pushing. <laughs> That's the Lord. But what we find here is this spirit of the Lord, what began to move him? There was a motivation. There was action. Take a look at chapter 14. Again, talking about Samson in verse 19. And here it is. It says that the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he went down to Eshkelon and slew 30 uh, of them and took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them, which expounded the riddle and his anger was kindled and he went up to his father's house. But but Samson's wife was given to his companion whom he had used as his friend. There's There's a lot in this passage. Okay. There's a lot of application, but what I want you to see is that the spirit of the Lord did something. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he gave him the ability to take on 30 guys. Gave him an ability to take on 30 guys. You better, ever been in a fight with 30 guys? You you, you ever been in, I mean, you know, you, you get in a fight with one guy and it's tough. Two guys, it's a little more difficult. Three, eh, you're going down. Uh, it's just the way it is. They got the numbers. Because, again, they don't fight like they fight in the movies. They don't wait for the next guy to throw his punch, and then when he gets knocked out, then they go in. No, they just jump on you and pummel you. There's none of this waiting choreography fight stuff that goes on. That's ridiculous. But but the end result is, is we find that the Lord gave him an ability. Gave him an ability. Turn to chapter 15. Chapter 15, and here in verse uh, uh, 14, Samson again, and when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became his flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosed from off his bands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, and took it, and slew a thousand men therewith. Okay, thirty guys... If you're pompous and arrogant, you can go, I can take 30 guys. But again, you're going to be pompous and arrogant. <clears throat> and again, pride goes before the fall. Because <laughs> you're going down, brother. That's just the way it is. But he, he Or sister, in case you know, you're know you one of the brawling women. <clears throat> but, but that being said, a thousand? A thousand? I mean, that's just not happening. The Lord gave him an ability. The Lord gave him an ability. So all these various situations with various different judges, the Lord did something. 
And when the Spirit of the Lord was sent, the Spirit of the Lord was sent to accomplish something. The Spirit of the Lord was sent and it gave deliverance in many situations um, to, to, to people. But what we find with the Spirit of the Lord is this. The Spirit of the Lord is given unto us so that we would have the ability to do what God asks of us. The Lord was given, Jesus Christ was given the Spirit of the Lord, it rested upon him to do what was necessary. Because you got to remember, as we look at that passage of Scripture, you know, again, we were talking about how does the Lord fear the Lord? Well, when you put yourself in human form and you have to be subject to obedience, you have to learn obedience, as Scripture says. You still have to bring the flesh into submission, as the Scripture says. You know what happens? I mean, the Bible says he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Exact same temptations. Everything that we go through, he went through. And people are like, well, he was only tempted three times over that. No, that was 40 days of nonstop temptation, by the way, if you read it. You read the parallel passages. It wasn't just the three at the end. It was the three at the end that are recorded there. But I will tell you this. It was 40 days, the Bible says, that the devil tempted him 40 days. We can't even be tempted for one minute not to overeat on cookies. <laughs> Serious. Somebody pushes in that, you know, big, nice, chocolatey, rich, oh, so good Costco cake right in front of us. Big old slice of it. Oh, no, I shouldn't. Oh, no, I really shouldn't. You know, whereas we're horking the whole thing down. We can't even stand that, Right. So let's, let's, let's think about this. Could you withstand 40 days of temptations? All 40 days of what goes through your daily? Could you imagine doing that for 40 days non-stop? And afterwards, the angels came and ministered unto him. Physically exhausted. And by the way, he was fasting during that whole time too. Yeah. We go one minute past our, our, our meal time and, and our stomach's like, feed me! You know, gnawing on our spine because we're so hungry. 40 days. Spirit of the Lord rested upon him. To do that. It's the same spirit that God's given you. Puts a whole different perspective on sin, doesn't it? You don't have to. The Lord has sent his spirit to give you an ability to, to, to if you will, resist the temptation. So here we are seeing that, if you will, that this this spirit of the Lord is an enabler. It makes those things possible. Because the spirit of man can't do that. You know, the Bible talks about the spirit of man, right? It talks about how, uh, you know, there's other different types of spirits out there. There's a spirit of jealousy. There's, as we talked about, a spirit of anger. Um, there's all sorts of other ones that are out there, but, but, uh, but I'll tell you this, that when the spirit of the Lord gets involved, things are very different. Let me show you, give you an example. Turn over to first Samuel, first Samuel chapter 10. <clears throat> king Saul, very first king of Israel, good king or bad king. Let's take a quick poll. Who thinks he was a good king? Who thinks he was a bad king? Okay. Who are not voting because they don't want to get trapped in it? 
who are not voting because they're asleep. <laughs> but you, you, you understand what I'm saying is when we look at King Saul, we have a very certain perception of him. A very certain perception. You know, King Saul, even with his own arrogance and and, and his his uh, desire to try to keep the kingdom, even though God said he was going to take it from him, his own arrogance to go against God's word and do what he wanted to do, even though he knew that it was going to cause problems. Uh, I mean, there, there's a whole slew of problems with King Saul, okay? But when King Saul was being selected, he was pretty humble. As a matter of fact, he didn't want the job. He ran. (laughs) I mean, you know, just think about that. Just think about that for a minute. So one day you get this knock on the door. And you open it up and there's two men with black suits, sunglasses, bulges on their right side, and little earpieces. And you're like, oh, no, they found me. Uh, and they're like, we're with the secret service. We need you to come with us. And you're like, wait a second. What? Well, this is going to sound really weird. And we know it sounds like it's not constitutional, but we threw the constitution out the window a long time ago. Uh, so, <laughs> but you've been selected to be the next president of the United States. Some of us would be like, yes. Some of us would be like, Excuse me a second, uh, I've got to go let the dog out. And when we open the back dog, we're running, we've got, you know, the dog in our arms, and we're running as fast as we can. We've got Secret Service chasing us down with their cars and everything. Throw us in the back and drag us all the way to Washington, D.C. So Saul was not really wanting to get involved in this. But the Lord selected. And, again, is some reticence with with Saul, but I want you to see what Samuel does here. Samuel says something that is always stuck in my mind as, whoa. Take a look down here, and uh, as, as, as you go down here to um, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10, and um, if I said 2 Samuel, I meant 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 10 And look at what he says here in verse 6. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shall be turned into another man. You know, when we start talking about getting rid of old sins, and when we start talking about the old man and the new man, You know, we find that the reason because of that is what the Lord has done for us. And it goes back to this verse 6. And shall be turned into another man. We trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Um, If you did it later on in life, I, I guarantee you probably are not doing the same things that you did prior to that salvation, were you? Or are you? If you are, well, we need to have a little conversation about that. But, <laughs> but, but you understand that it's something different. You're not the same. Christian has no, should have no desire for the things of this world, the things that, that 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 please the flesh, the things that are of this life and this earth. And it's interesting here. He was talking about giving them a gift of uh, prophecy. Um, but it says the, the part that really sticks out is, is to be turned into another man. You know, this world faces a massive identity crisis right now. People in the, the, the westernized civilizations and those that are influenced by media and technology are, are suffering from an identity crisis. They don't know who they are. And the reason they don't know who they are is because they don't have the Lord. That's first and foremost. Because God created us to have a relationship with him. 
That's evident from what we see in the book of Genesis. And to be without the Lord means we're incomplete. God never created us to be that way. He created us to be dependent upon him. And we find in this passage, if you will, Saul kind of struggling with that identity crisis. Who am I? You know, I was just chasing down a bunch of donkeys when the Lord called and asked me to lead a, lead a nation. To be the first king where we've never had a king before. So, so we, we, we find here that something had to change with Saul. There had to be a confidence, but not in Saul, but in what the Lord was doing. There had to be a confidence that, that this could be accomplished, not at Saul's own hands, but because of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord enables that to happen, enables that to occur. Again, I remember when, when Tim Shanks, we're sitting down over a burrito at Taco Del Mar, and he says, I want you to take the church, and I'm just like... So this is how it happens. Over a burrito and chips. <laughs> it was like pretty cool, but you know, uh, kind of interesting. Thought it might be a little bit different, but you know, the Lord does things. And I just, you know, the first thought in my mind is, you know, of course my flesh is like, wrong guy. You got the wrong dude. Not me. Mm-mm. Nope. 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 And there's something that had to happen. That was you know, getting close to 13 years ago now. A bit of a different man because of that. But you know what? The one thing that I knew is that I could not do this on my own power. It can only be done with God. And in order to do that, I had to tap into that spirit of the Lord that he has already given me. Trust, reliance, and confidence solely in Christ, not myself. Which is why that verse, if you will, the life verse for my ministry, 1 Thessalonians 5.24, faithful is he who calleth you, who will also do it. He does it sometimes in spite of us because we get in the way with our own designs and our own desires and our own plans. But God just works his work and he continues to do it because he's the faithful one. Praise God for it. Praise God for it. It's all here. A different man. I like to point that out because that's what the Spirit of the Lord does for us. I want you to go over to 1 Samuel chapter 16. A few short years later, if you will, from when Saul was that man that was needing to become somebody different. But uh, he became a different man even after that. Because he started following after himself. He became lifted up with pride. In First Samuel chapter 16, uh, we have uh, um, uh, David here being anointed. And in uh, verse 13 here, it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that's David, in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. The Spirit stayed with him. Do you remember that spirit that was given over there in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 6? Take a look at uh, what happened here uh, to, in the next verse, in verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. God allowed something else to affect him.
with that spirit of the Lord that enabled him to do the things that he needed to do was gone. Now, praise the Lord. The spirit of the Lord stays with us. But I will tell you this, it becomes very critical and important for us to understand the concept that we can get to a point of where we don't listen to the Holy Spirit anymore. We can get to a point of where we shut out that voice so much and we stop our ears against what he has to say that it's this, it's like the Spirit of the Lord has no effect in our life. And that's all choice. That's all choice. Saul could have made a choice here. Saul was given multiple times to turn back to God. He still struggled with it. All the way up to the point of where even when he's so desperately trying to get a message from God, get a message from some, uh, uh, from someone from God that he has to go to a witch to try to incantate uh, uh, Samuel from the dead. Man, that, Samuel's got to be angry with that. You know, it's kind of interesting. You go back over there. Samuel said to Saul, I will see you again. That means that uh, Samuel was going to see Saul in paradise. That's interesting. It's interesting that he would say that. But what we find here is the Spirit of the Lord departed from him. He didn't have the ability anymore. Go over to the book of Isaiah again. Let's go over to Isaiah chapter 61. And it was prophesied of Jesus Christ. And uh, you go over to Luke chapter uh, chapter 4 verse 18 and you find that, the, that Jesus Christ read this passage. But in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to come for, uh, excuse me, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy of mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness for the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So there's some millennial passage in here, as well as talking about Christ's ministry. But you see in verse 1, there's a bunch of things that the Lord was commissioned to do. He was anointed to do. And what is that? To preach. To bind. To proclaim. All of these things that he's supposed to do. And I will tell you this. We have opportunities to preach good tidings. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. The man can be reconciled in God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for our sins. That we can have a home in heaven with him and we can have an eternal life only through him. So we understand that. We can say those same things. It says he has sent me to, bro- uh, to bind up the brokenhearted. You know what? Pointing to Jesus Christ is the best comfort anybody can ever have. We can do the same. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Sin is bondage. The Bible says over in 2 Corinthians 3, says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. And proclaiming liberty comes with the proclamation of Jesus Christ. People want real liberty in this world. I tell you, it's not going to go far, even among right-wing crowds, if you say, if you want liberty, then we need to t- turn this entire nation into a God-fearing nation. 
What does that mean? You watch individuals that sit there and they claim to be right wing and they claim to be all about God and stuff like that. You say, okay, you want to be that? Pour all the liquor down the drain. Every drop and never manufacture it again. Shut down the cigarette factories. Put massive restrictions on the internet. But those are my rights. You never had a right to sin. Real liberty doesn't include it. All of a sudden, that idea and concept of what a lot of Americans think liberty is changes, doesn't it? Changes. Guarantee you do those first three, watch what happens. You'll see people turn and they'll be on the other side like that. Because if it's not done with Jesus Christ and it's not done with the Spirit of the Lord... It's not possible. Real liberty isn't possible without Jesus Christ. Real liberty is not possible without the Spirit of the Lord. People don't like to talk about that. But therein lies the truth. And you know what? A lot of our founding fathers knew that. A lot of them knew it. But what we find here is we find that the Lord is going to do this with his spirit. Jesus Christ came and said he came to do the will of the Father. And in order to accomplish God's will and accordingly accomplish God's works, the spirit of the Lord had to be present. The spirit of the Lord had to be there. And you go over there and what do you see? You see the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Does that mean he didn't have the Spirit of the Lord before? Does that mean that Jesus Christ got saved that day? No. Let's not go there. But you understand what what the Lord's showing and communicating. As man, we need the Spirit of the Lord. You want to accomplish anything for the Lord? You want to do any of His will? You want to do any of His works? The only way that it can be done is through the enabling of the Spirit of the Lord. This is why it's so important. So when we look at Jesus Christ and we see what he has done for us, we know that the Spirit of the Lord rested upon him. I sometimes wonder if the Spirit of the Lord sometimes is frustratingly resting upon us. Because we won't listen. Because we won't heed. When he says, I just want you to do what is right. I just want you to live in a way that demonstrates what I've done on the cross. When we see that just as a simple ask of us as Christians becomes very apparent that we need him to accomplish that. The Spirit of the Lord is about enabling, accomplishing. If we're going to, if you will, animate our lives in such a way that it demonstrates glory to our Savior and who he is, the only way that can be done is with the right spirit. The spirit of man doesn't show that. The spirit of anger doesn't show that. The spirit of anything else doesn't show that. But the Spirit of the Lord does. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time and opportunity, Lord, to just uh, focus a little bit on your Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that as we look at these passages, we realize that there is an enabling that you give to us. Because, Lord, we know that it is impossible with us, but, Lord, with you it is possible. We know that you are great, and you're greater than... Uh, anything, Lord, the Bible says is greater are you than, than he that is in this world. We know, Lord, that, um, that you're magnified 
and the fact that we can't accomplish them with our own flesh, but need you as the glory. And, and, and Lord, again, I just pray that we would understand this concept. That in a Christ-like manner, Lord, we would just continue to point to you. Continue to point to what you've done for us. Continue to point to the love. Continue to point to the judgment. Continue to point to what it is that you desire us to do. And Lord, even point with those things that come with a rebuke or a reproof. And Lord, again, I just thank you for this time you've given to us. Pray, Lord, that we just take this opportunity to meditate and think on these things. And I ask and pray this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.